growing green to generate more green. Welcome to The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman. Each week we plant the conversational seeds about cultivation and the changing climate of cannabis culture. We'll peel back the layers of benefits of the world's most versatile plant, from food to fuel, from remedy to resource. CannabisRadio.com proudly presents The Grow Show with your host, multi-award winning grow master and respected cannabis consultant, Kyle Cushman. Hello and welcome all you high-flying, die-trying, roll a Philly blunt for your friend, hempsters. This is The Grow Show on CannabisRadio.com and I'm your host, Kyle Cushman. Our very special guest today is my old friend, John Holmstrom. He's an illustrator, a writer, and a trial-by-fire seasoned publisher. Some of his most well-known illustrations are the covers of two Ramones albums, as well as a comic-based chronology of punk rock for Spin magazine and a special punk culture issue. You can find some awesome illustrations at his website, www.johnholmstrom.com. As a publisher, he's practically a legend for defining and presenting the best of anti-establishment culture. Founding Punk Magazine in 1975, his work was quickly picked up as a practical visual representation of the punk era. You want to know what the difference between punk and glam is? Ask John Holmstrom, because he knows. After the magazine stopped publication in 1979, he began work on a number of collaborative projects with the likes of The Village Voice and Heavy Metal Magazines. And then he joined forces with High Times in the late 80s. By 1991, he had risen in the ranks of High Times, growing from managing editor to publisher and president. After working with the magazine for 13 years, during which time he hired me, he moved on to other projects. We're here today to catch up with John and reminisce a little bit about the old days. Welcome to The Grow Show, John. Thanks, Kyle. How you been? Oh, very busy, very busy. Right now I'm working on a map of the Ramones in the tri-state area for an exhibition at the Queens Museum that opens on April 10th. Did so you say a we're map? We're excited about it. Yes. Like, I did the Rocket to Russia map for the Ramones. Uh-huh. For their third album. So this is going to be like an expanded version of the tri-state area with, you know, places like CBGB's and the Capitol Theater and all the clubs they played and their, their childhood homes. It's very ambitious. The biggest thing I ever did. Well, before we get into high times and all that stuff, which I really want to talk about, you know, you're obviously really into punk music. And I want to know a little bit about how that start and if your appreciation has waned at all over the years. No, I, I still love punk rock, but, you know, I like other music, too. I like music, period. Big fan of right. Hendrix and Cream back in the day. I've seen a lot of concerts. But you just found yeah, a niche, like, you sort of found a niche writing about punk. Yeah, I got lucky. A friend of mine agreed to back my idea for a magazine, and it took off very quickly. It's about 40 years ago mm-hmm. that I started Punk Magazine, and we helped put bands like the Ramones and the Dead Boys on the map. I have actually been mistaken in a drunken stupor, I think, for Joey Ramone a few times when I lived in New York, <laughs> <laughs> when my hair was really long. <laughs> I can see that. Howard Stern once or twice, too, unfortunately. So, you know, I want to go back. I want to go back to the early days when we first met. Can you remember the chronology of how we actually met? I remember meeting you at a, I think it was a normal convention, and you expressed an eagerness to work for high times in any capacity. Do you remember that? I don't. I don't. What I, what I do very distinctly remember was getting a phone call from you one day 
this was after I had left New York and I was living in Detroit. And I'm pretty sure that I had written one or two articles for the magazine. And then you called me up one day, and this, this very, very fruitful day for me, and you said, Adam, would you be interested in a low-paying, high-prestige job? Do you remember that? And you answered questions about cultivation for the newly founded High Times website that I Ex- launched. Exactly. I, I, you literally mailed me a word processor computer. I didn't own one at the time. And you mailed me floppy disks in the mail with questions on them. And I would insert the disk, answer the questions, and I would mail the disk back to you. And you obviously would type, <laughs> you, you typed them in yourself. Do you remember this? I don't remember that part of it, thankfully. <laughs> but it, it was tough starting the website back then because people were not on the web then. Right. For posterity's sake, yeah, that, that low-paying job was actually $250 a month. And I was answering about 10 or 12 questions, maybe 15 questions a month. But the high prestige certainly, part of it certainly paid off, and I want to publicly thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, the, the website really took off. We were getting half a million people a month within a few years. Wow. And that was spearheaded by you pretty much. Yes. So... You know, back in the day, you know, it, it isn't like it is now. What, tell us a little bit about what it was like running an office in Manhattan, full-blown zero tolerance, with a bunch of pot smokers coming in and out of the office. Yeah, there was a lot of paranoia, especially because <laughs> I started working at High Times full-time in 1987, and within a year... We were told that the Attorney General of the United States had threatened to put us all in jail just for putting out the magazine. Wow. And then Operation Green Merchant happened in Mm -hmm. October 88, if I remember correctly. And they basically busted every one of our advertisers. And nobody fought because they were afraid of being put in jail. And the magazine lost a lot of revenue. And we were down to like half a dozen full-time employees at one point. That was really the low point of High Times. I actually knew the founder, and I saw High Times when it was really doing well in the late 70s. I wanted to ask you about that. You were actually friends with Tom Fassad. Oh, yeah. He flew me around on the Sex Pistols tour, and then in February... He brought me down to Jamaica in search of Johnny Rotten, who was down there, uh, you know, checking out reggae music and that scene. So I had quite a few adventures with High Times. Wow. I mean, aside from the fact that Tom was your friend, you know, was it the counterculture aspect that drew you to High Times as well? No, I kind of was repulsed by the magazine. There was this... (laughs) kind of pretentious end of the hippie movement at that point. Well, it was really, um, it, was, it wasn't all about marijuana back then. It was really into the whole hard drug scene, wasn't it? Not really. They, they kept, they successfully prevented heroin from damaging the magazine. Okay. It never so been a positive story about heroin, but cocaine no. was prevalent. Cocaine, cocaine was prevalent. Kind of, cocaine took over the magazine in the early 80s after Tom died. Uh-huh. 
but he never met a drug he didn't like. He was doing stories <laughs> on everything from chocolate to absinthe. I remember he brewed his own absinthe. He invited me to try it. It was kind of interesting. Absinthe is sort of legal again. It, it is. It was illegal back then. It is. There are, so, there are a few producers actually in the United States now. They had to petition for it. They had an easier time getting that rescheduled than, than we have with cannabis. It seems like you had a good idea that once you started the website that you know, it was really going to snowball. But, I mean, did you ever imagine how much important information would be compiled on this website that you were starting 20 years ago? Well, a lot of our information was taken down, unfortunately. I had some great articles up on that website that I wish were back up. My favorite was one about the use of marijuana by Civil War soldiers. Huh. I found some, I found some personal letters from a Civil War soldier to his fiancée. This is like the first letter they were joking about how she uh, enjoyed his marijuana stash. Interesting. <laughs> That's an interesting love letter. I think if more Americans knew how widespread the use of cannabis and marijuana were throughout our history, the end of prohibition might happen sooner. What was it like in the, uh, the olden days before your first in-house cultivation expert was around? Did anything substantially change? You know, I mean, not specific, I'm not looking for a compliment. I'm just, I'm just really curious about, you know, before I came on and started doing a lot of product reviews and kind of soliciting for people to send in cultivation information and stuff, I think the journalism level was probably a little bit higher before I came there, no? Well, back in the 70s, there was very little information about cultivation, and it was mostly outdoor. And even when right. I started working there in the 80s, there was kind of a half-and-half half outdoor versus indoor. Indoor had just started taking off. Right. And Ed, Rosen, Ed Rosenthal was taking care of most of the cultivation information. Right. So we didn't worry about that. But there was also a lot of coverage of the drug war. And right. excesses of the government, you know, of drug testing was a big front that we were trying to fight. Because I, I always thought drug testing is the, the worst infringement on our personal freedom. And we would get a lot of phone calls from people about drug tests. They're very inaccurate. People would call up, I don't smoke pot. How did I feel the drug test? <laughs> Well, listen, we have to take a quick break to show our sponsors some Grow Show love. So I advise everybody to sit back, take a quick toke, and we'll be right back with more John Holmstrom. The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman will return once we cultivate through this short commercial break. shooting past a thousand degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's orders. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. 
Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Mentions the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on CannabisRadio.com. Don't try to debate me on something. Motherfucker, I can't do many things well. But words are my shit. The Stoner Jesus Show. Live weeknights at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Or find the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on demand at CannabisRadio.com and StonerJesus.net. Peace, bitches. Time to plant some more conversational seeds. You're listening to The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody, to The Grow Show on CannabisRadio.com. We're speaking with John Holmstrom. He was the publisher of High Times Magazine when I started working there. In fact, we would never have even known each other if it wasn't for High Times Magazine. And there obviously would be no Kyle Cushman if it wasn't for High Times Magazine. And I do want to give a big condolences and a thank you to Mr. Michael Kennedy over the years for keeping everybody safe at high times. As people may not know, he passed a few weeks ago. John, I'm sure he was a very close friend of yours. Yes, I, I had many adventures with Michael Kennedy in addition to Tom Forsad. They were sort of the two most important people, probably along with Stephen Hager, who worked up at the magazine, I think. Michael had a lot of very famous clients. Huey Newton, Timothy Leary. He was one of the Chicago Seven lawyers. Bernadine Dorn, Gene Harris, the diet doctor. He was Ivana Trump's divorce lawyer during Donald's first divorce. Yeah, yeah. So I remember, you know, there was always, I don't know, when I first started, I was uh, praised of rumors of possible phone tapping by the government. There was always a little bit of paranoia going on there. And I even remember one, one editor that I worked with kind of departed the magazine after thinking that he had come home from lunch and been slipped a contact drug by the, the FBI or CIA. Do you remember that story at all? I don't, but I do remember once in a while an employee would go off the deep end. They would get too heavily into drugs or they would decide to go into rehab. Or just the paranoia, right? There was a lot of paranoia around the magazine. I heard in the 70s they invested a lot of money in technology to detect bugs and phone tapping, and they never found anything. But at the same time, when I was putting out Punk Magazine and working with Tom Forsad, we felt like our phones were being tapped right. as a result of that. Of course, now with the Internet, they don't need to tap our phones. They have right. all of our information. Thanks they have all the, the metadata. It was interesting back then for me because I started actually getting phone calls at my desk from people who were calling and wanting to show me their gardens. And I was always amazed by this, and I would end up meeting somebody on a corner or driving out to New Jersey or driving out to Brooklyn, and I'd, and I'd get these people to just open up their gardens to me. It was really pretty, pretty miraculous. I don't think anyone was ever arrested as a result of 
being in communication with high times. No, but I don't I think so either. Think people, people would get sloppy, and they would get busted by friends or family members. Right. There was always a weird rumor that High Times was owned by the FBI. And, you know, <laughs> I remember that. Out to arrest everybody who subscribed. Right. People would drive. I would hear stories. People would drive 200 miles to buy right. a copy of High Times so no one would recognize them. Yeah, I know, and and so much has changed. Do you ever think about how it would be so much easier to be the publisher now during this wonderful green rush of legalization as opposed to the way things were when you were actually publisher? It was actually easier for us back then. How so? Publishing was, publishing was doing better. Publishing has been right. really damaged by the Internet. Right. I... I heard at Michael Kennedy's memorial service that the magazine is actually at the top of its category right. for magazine sales because everybody else's numbers are down so much. They're getting so much public outreach with all the cannabis cups. You know, they reach, they're reaching millions of people a year in that way, and that's got to be driving magazine sales a little bit. Well, they're making money off these events. Like Absolutely. You wouldn't believe. Yes. So the magazine's almost immaterial. And that's I, I what, think the it's secondary. Doing well. Yeah, the magazine yeah. is certainly secondary to revenue, but it's an icon of American culture, and I certainly hope that it doesn't go anywhere. Do you see a chance of them going wholly web-based? It's probably an eventuality, Yeah, but I don't think that's in their current plans. No time but soon. The, it, it's, it's a challenge for them because of the legalization that's happening. They kind of have to change their business plan because we were the only game in town in the mm-hmm. 80s. Right. You know, it was high times and normal. We're the right. only two organizations that dared to say marijuana should be legal. Everyone right. else was just saying no, put them in jail, and throw away the keys. Now there's Skunk Magazine time. and MG Magazine and uh, I don't know if Ladybud is still publishing. There's lots of other magazines out there. You're absolutely right. So I'd like to ask you, do you have any personal opinions on the legalization situation that's going on now? Well, I think, thank God it's happening. It's about time. I felt since I was a teenager that it should be legal. We Mm -hmm. all knew about the history, a little bit of it, how, you know, marijuana has been used as hemp with a name like Holmstrom. I certainly knew about hemp spun and homespun clothing. Mm-hmm. When it was told, told to, when we learned about it in fourth grade. Where did you grow up, John? In Connecticut. Nice. Yeah, not far so from you, New York. So, so you're not too. To the city. You're not too far from your breeding grounds. Right. Right. Well, you could imagine. I'm certainly living in a really good space, not just in my head, but physically. Right now, I've. I'm completely unabashed about my, my practices and what I do. You know, I can have my own personal garden. I can do some breeding. I do a lot of consulting. And, you know, for, for the 10 plus years that I've been in California now, I've been preaching, you know, completely 
compliance, and I've been teaching people to live within the law, which in some circles is not very popular. But that's always been my way of kind of giving back to the community and helping out in addition to sharing you know, cultivation knowledge, but really, really just trying to make sure that people stay safe and not go through the things and the close calls that I went through. You know, I'm sure you remember um, having to call up the Kennedy Law Offices for me when I got arrested in Hunter, New York. Oh, I don't remember that. You don't remember that? Were you, um, maybe, maybe you were or were not publisher at that time. I think actually now that I think about it, you'd moved on. Yeah, I got arrested in Hunter, New York. The newspaper said for, for in excess of 50 pounds of marijuana worth for over $2.5 million. It was actually seven to eight pounds worth forty dollars to $50,000. Simone Monasabian made a few wonderful phone calls. She didn't even have to leave the city, and I got it dismissed on an illegal search and seizure. It was a very, very wonderful thing working for High Times. I saw Simone Monosabian at, at Michael Kennedy's funeral. What a wonderful woman. You know what she's doing now? I Unbelievable. Don't. She's working with the United Nations to try to overturn the single treaty. And if you don't know what the single treaty is, that's an international law that was Harry Anslinger's pride and joy. Ah. And every nation has to have the same policy towards drugs. And that's why it's well, in Amsterdam. I think you've given me my next Grow Show interview guest that I need to call. Simone and I have only spoken together for five minutes one time back in those days. I was in jail in upstate New York, and she talked to me for about five minutes, and that was the only time I ever spoke to her. Thank you for mentioning that, because I'm going to give her a call. And we do have to take another break right now for our sponsors, but we'll be right back, and we're going to talk about future endeavors with John Holmstrom. The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman will return once we cultivate through this short commercial break. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Educator, author, and advocate, Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. And I'm here to clear up the myths about cannabis and burn them away with science. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Dr. Kevin Hill. You can't ignore the fact that, like alcohol, most people who use don't have a problem. So I think that you need to think about policy in that way while educating people properly about marijuana. I think that's the way to go. 
burning issues only on cannabisradio.com. Time to plant some more conversational seeds. You're listening to The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody, to The Grow Show on CannabisRadio.com. We're talking with my friend John Holmstrom, founder of Punk Magazine, ex-publisher of High Times Magazine. So I want to talk now about the future a little bit, John. Do you still write or illustrate for any publications on a regular basis? Unfortunately, no. There's just not much money there in publishing anymore. I had a clothing deal in Japan, and we're looking at doing something in America. Uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to do next. The show on HBO, Vinyl, will hopefully spark some interest in 1970s punk rock. Have you been watching that show? I think it's really excellent. I have, and I have to admit, it's pretty hard to watch a show that's trying to portray a coke-snorting record company executive who's kind of a scumbag. You know, I really, when I watch television, I like the grit. I don't necessarily, you know, I don't like the show Entourage. And I find there's too many misogynistic assholes on that show for me to like it. But I think the show really puts a good focus on the music. And I'm hearing a lot of music that I've never heard before. That would be wonderful, because a lot of great music came out of there. But uh, for old-timers like me, when the Nasty Bits, this fictional punk band from 1973, plays a Dead Boys song, it's kind of jarring, because, you know, that it took a while to develop that kind of fast and loud sound. To me, the Stooges were the prototypical punk band from the early 70s. That's the last time I saw you was when uh, I was actually in Michigan and we went to a house party. Niagara, yes, in Detroit. Yes, wasn't, my wasn't good that, friend, that was, that was my the Stooges, was it not? Uh, no, uh, Niagara knew Ron, the guitar player. She dated him and they started a few bands together. Uh-huh. But I don't think any of the Stooges were there. But the, they had a whole, you know, the Stooges are from Detroit, so a lot of people know the band. So you're in New York City. You, you've lived in New York City for how many decades now? Oh, I hate to think of it. I moved here in 72. Have you ever thought of trekking out to another part of the country, like, say, California? I have. Unfortunately, there are no subways in California. <laughs> and please tell me why that is a prerequisite for someplace to live for you. I'm a terrible driver. Uh, so, it's kind of self-preservation to live somewhere where I can walk everywhere or take public transportation. I think that the terrible driver is probably uh, part and parcel to living in New York for so long. Yes. Yeah, you don't need to develop those skills. Yes, I, I went to Tokyo for my Japanese clothing deal once, and I could definitely live in Tokyo. They have a wonderful subway system. It's a you know, I... City. I really enjoyed my time in New York City. I lived, I lived there for just under five years, and there really was a plan right from the beginning. I, I heard about people getting stuck there. Like once you've been there for five or more years, somehow you never leave. And I had given myself like a five-year moratorium, let's just say. And I don't know what to say, but when I found California, 
it was my chance to not be a criminal for the first time in my adult life, and I, I just jumped all over that. It's funny you say you know that about the, when you talked earlier about not everybody wants it to be legal because we had to fight that from our own readers. They would send in letters like, get off this legalization kick. Things are really? going great as they are. We're making so much money. Who wants it legal? Not us. That's kind of what I dealt with. You know, the prevailing opinions that I dealt with when Kyle Cushman, ex, you know, high time, well, I wasn't ex then, high times journalist, you know, moved to Northern California. I actually had to move once because I received indirect death threats from growers, you know, generational growers who thought that I was going to kind of, you know, blow the lid on the f fact that people were growing marijuana in Mendocino County somehow that like everybody didn't know. Oh, I remember one time. There was a story printed in High Times with a picture of a hippie on the side of the road that basically held up a sign saying, looking for work. And basically what it was, was they were looking for trim work in the summertime, in the, in the harvest time, in the fall. Everybody will hang out and just kind of, you know, you can, you can get a job on the side of the road, kind of like the non-registereds who hang out at Home Depot. <laughs> and all of a sudden, everybody thought that this was my, that I was exposing Mendocino for what it was, and I literally had to leave Laytonville. It's terrible. It was. And, and then again, uh, a few years later, when, when California got the chance to vote on Prop 19, and I found out that my county overwhelmingly, like 78% voted against legalization for Prop 19 – I had to leave. I, I couldn't look at people the same way anymore. I couldn't sit in the diner where I had sat every morning and talked to the cook and just people in town and, and shared, openly shared my experiences because, like I said, I was in compliance and I was very proud to be able to leave my bedroom bay window open so when you drove up in my driveway, you could see my garden. And, and, and I really reveled in the fact that I was allowed to do this and I really wanted to spread that word. But... I wasn't taken too very friendly by some of the people who really wanted to keep it hush-hush. Some people like being outlaws. They like mm -hmm. being outside the law, and I think they, there's a feeling of control when you're in that situation. And you kind of like fighting the law on your own terms. And there's also a creeping fear that the big corporations are moving in on marijuana, like in Colorado. And they are going to push out the small growers. Well, they are. But, I mean, you know, evolution is pretty much – you can chart things. Like, you know, the day the man invented a refrigerator, all the guys that used to deliver ice to the buildings went out of business. And the day that you could get movies at home on your TV, Blockbuster went out of business. And, you know, some of these things, I'm not saying they're good, but, you know, I, I'm not completely doom and gloom about this because I think that this industry, there's a very tight-knit culture – backing this this industry and this could be the first product in humankind that isn't 100% co-opted by big global corporations and that mom and pops and people who have been around for several decades making a name for themselves in all facets of the industry from from edibles to genetics to you know to cultivation are going to are, are going to find a place for themselves I'm pretty confident of that well, the best aspect of legalization is the health issue. When it's illegal, you don't know what people are putting into it. I remember right. getting dosed more than once with, you know, <laughs> whatever somebody was spraying on marijuana. Right, some and PCP. Now, I understand you brought out some very good organic nutrients for the plants. 
Yes. And, you know, the marijuana now is, is better for you. There's not so many poisonous chemicals in there. That's what's you know, terrible about cocaine. I mean, how, how could anybody put that stuff in their system? Cocaine is cocaine? good. Cocaine is good for no man, and cannabis is good for all. I just posted a picture on Facebook of my 87-year-old mother-in-law getting high on her birthday for the very first time, and it's got almost 100,000 views. Wow. Hey, John, really quick, I want to ask you, is there some way, an email address or a website that you'd like to give to the listeners if they'd like to contact you or find out more information about you? Sure. Go to punkmagazine.com. Beautiful. John, thanks for being on the show today. I had a really good time. I want to thank the producers for making the show possible, as always. If you want to submit your questions for our weekly Ask Kyle segment, please send them to diane at kylecushman.com. That's D-I-A-N-E. Or go to the Facebook page, www.facebook.com slash The Grow Show. Make sure to check out my website, kylecushman.com, where you can find out where to follow me on social media and upcoming events that I'll be attending. Subscribe to my newsletter and a whole lot more. You can find new episodes of The Grow Show every Wednesday by going to cannabisradio.com or subscribe to them on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Once again, thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Kyle Cushman. And as always, everyone, please stay lifted. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.